Good morning. I have uh, enjoyed living in Chicago for years and years now, and uh, I am uh, uh, I'm happy to be here today, uh, partly because I get a few days out of Chicago, and, uh, <clears throat> and now it's time for the obligatory uh, story from Pakistan. It's Palm Sunday, and in Pakistan, there's a desert and lots of palm trees, and uh, we grow dates, so there's date palms, and uh, uh, and the best thing to do is to send a, a young person up to the top of the palm tree, and they cut off palm branches. They're the big ones, the big, gnarly, scratchy ones. They're not like the... Uh, the lightweight green ones, apparently, people buy here. And uh, uh, we have, uh, and then the, they'll, they'll take out the procession. The Christians are a minority, so it's good to have Palm Sunday. That means you get to get out the palm and march around and wave these palms in the air and let the neighborhood know that, uh, that there's a Christian community near them. Uh, Aside from that, I don't remember anything in particular uh, about uh, Pakistan's celebration of Palm Sunday, except marching around the neighborhood. Uh, This must be an important event in the Bible, because this event was recorded in all four of the Gospels. Um, It... um, Before this event, there was the feeding of the 5,000 recorded in all four of the Gospels. But they all start with this Passion Week. They start with this uh, entry of the Messiah into um, the the city of Jerusalem and uh, the celebration that uh, people waved palm branches. This Holy Week... This Passion Week starts out with a bang. Jesus engineers a live-action parable that puts him in the center of attention and causes the whole city to deal with his presence. There is going to be a lot of opposition from the religious parties, some singing and shouting, but let's take a step back and see how we got here. Let's go back just three days In Luke chapter 19, while Jesus is passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, he meets Zacchaeus, a tax collector, and um, a friend of Rome. He collects taxes for Rome. He knows a lot of unclean people. They're his friends. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, and Jesus eats lunch at his house. Zacchaeus is moved by the gospel of the kingdom, And he gives half his money to the poor. Jesus declares that this man is saved. Now, one day after that, Jesus, in coming from Galilee, passes through Jericho. Uh, I don't know where he was in the meantime, but here he is passing through Jericho the next day. And he's called by a couple of blind men who are begging on the street. In Mark's gospel, one is named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Mark chapter 10. By the way, 
This is an interesting proof of the validity of our scriptures. All the, well, two other gospels mention that there was a blind man healed in, um, in Jericho, but Mark names the name. He tells who the man is. He not only says his name is Bartimaeus, but he says he's the son of Timaeus. Your father's name and your name together is your full ID. You know, in Pakistan, people come to your door and they just want to see if you're there. So from the police department, they come to your door and they ask the official question, what is your father's name? That was not in my passport, of course. They'd say, it's not in your passport. I say, yes, I know. We don't use my father's name as part of my ID and my passport, but they do. It's your full ID. Mark remembered this blind man and this incident, and he got this, and he said his name is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Um, the, uh, and even the city, uh, Jericho. Um, Bartimaeus must have made an impact in the early church, and um, Mark and Peter, since Mark wrote from Peter's testimony, uh, they must have expected the readers of this gospel to remember Bartimaeus of Jericho. Um, it's interesting, it's important, because it's a detail you would certainly not have put in unless you were sitting there writing it from the mouth of an eyewitness. They, these blind men, they call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Some of the crowd around rebuke these men and try to silence them, but they persist in calling to the son of David. Jesus calls for them to be brought to him and asks what he may do for them. It's an interesting way of responding to two blind men who ask you for something. You ask them, what do you want me to do? Do you want a $5 gift or something else? They say they want to recover their sight. And so he touches their eyes and they are healed. They don't go home, but they take up following the crowd and head for Jerusalem. So we have a man converted, we have two blind men healed, and now just one day before the, this triumphal entry, Jesus goes to um, the banquet of miracles in Bethany. In this banquet, Simon the leper is the host, Lazarus is the chief guest, and Jesus is invited to be the speaker. Simon is no longer a leper, and no one would go to, or no one would go to his house. He probably was healed by Jesus, although um, there's no um, uh, uh, confirmation of this in the Gospels. And also, he would have been required to get an official certificate from a priest that he was no longer, um, no longer a leper, and um, and then he could go to the temple, to synagogue, to have people over to his house. Uh, so Simon the leper and Lazarus. Lazarus is no longer dead. Lazarus was raised back to life by Jesus just a few months ago. 
the crowds outside are forming, trying to get a glimpse of Lazarus. The chief priests are irritated that there's so much attention around Jesus, and they realize that Lazarus is bringing a lot of people to Jesus' side. So they issue a death warrant for Lazarus. This is serious opposition. John the disciple had friends in the temple and in the house of Herod, and I would assume that John the disciple was um, given uh, some uh, interesting stories from his friends and relatives who worked there about the politics of being raised from the dead and what it means if you walk around alive uh, after Jesus has raised you from the dead. One more problem I have with the ruling religious class of that day. If they hear the news that a prophet has arisen, and is able to heal and even raise the dead. And if they, um, why are they not able to believe? Why do they not admit that they lose every debate they have with this man? Why do they not listen to his message of the kingdom? Um, and I don't have an answer, but it's amazing to me that they follow Jesus around and they try to... Um, silence the stories about the people he is impacting. You can have answers and people will still not believe because some people are not yet ready to believe, but Jesus still um, offers them the kingdom over and over again. Now, back to our story. It is Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, Jesus has five days to finish his work. He has to prepare his disciples five more days to get everything ready. Jesus and his disciples and travelers from the province of Galilee are walking up to the capital city of Jerusalem and the temple. They walked almost everywhere they went since ordinary people didn't have uh, carts and oxen or other means of transport. But on this day, the Lord Jesus stopped his men and they waited while he sent two disciples to a nearby village to take and bring a donkey and her colt. He told them when they were asked, when they were asked what they were doing, that they should say, the Lord needs them and they will give permission. This was a strange request since they had never needed an animal before but they did just as the Lord Jesus said and came back with two donkeys. They led the mother donkey first, according to Matthew, our reading today, led the mother donkey and the Lord Jesus rode the young donkey that had never been ridden. A common way of training a donkey is you tie the young donkey to the side of the donkey cart and wherever the mother donkey goes, the young donkey is tied to the side and he is dragged along. He learns to follow the cart. He learns the commands that are needed. And uh, eventually he gets to pull a cart of his own. But while he's tied to the cart, he's always pulling off to the side. Um, it, it must be uh, a little bit hard on the, the main donkey that's supposed to be pulling the cart because this training donkey is always pulling in the other direction. 
But Jesus mounts this donkey, and um, off they go, the last mile into Jerusalem. Um, When people saw that Jesus was riding a donkey up to the city, they remembered a prophecy that the Messiah will come to the city built on the hill of Zion to Jerusalem to rule over all the land. He will defeat all enemies and bring peace and salvation and righteous rule to all the land. They remembered that the Lord Jesus had performed many miracles before this, When Jesus sits on the donkey, he is making a declaration of his messiahship, and the crowd is ready to react to the display. So they begin to celebrate, shout, lay their cloaks on the road in front of the donkeys, cut branches from palm trees, and lay them on the road. They sang songs from the Psalms about this great event. They recited. They recited part of Psalm 118 and shouted praise to the Lord Jesus. The whole city was stirred up to run out and see what was happening. Um, The they sang, "Blessed is the King," according to Luke chapter 19. Blessed is the king. The Pharisees came and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They shouldn't be saying this. They shouldn't be saying that there is another blessed king. They shouldn't be calling you the king. Um, Riding a donkey is humbling. The donkey takes short steps, jerking the rider back and forth, The rider's feet almost drag on the ground. It's not regal at all. Big donkeys may hide your embarrassment. There's a smaller variety and a bigger variety. Um, The smaller variety is uh, easier to keep, and a lot of poor people have a a small donkey. It's kind of like a wheelbarrow. It's good to have. You can always use for pulling something. But... uh, They're not nice to ride. Um, But a a donkey fits the description of Zechariah 9.9. Just humble, riding on a donkey's colt, and also the rest of the prophecy, to establish peace, break the bow, defeat the Greeks and the outsiders. And now Jesus receives worship. No wonder the people saw this prophet from Galilee and started to put two and two together. His miracles, the donkey headed to Jerusalem, the feast of Passover, the prophecy of Zechariah, they start to praise God and recite Psalm 118, verse 26. They throw their cloaks on the road in in the path in front of the donkeys. They cut palm branches and lay them down in the road. This is the worship of God who sent Jesus and of Jesus who is coming. The worship includes singing, reciting scripture, praising, blessing, and the awe of approaching the holy city. This worship is good and true. Um, It is true worship. 
What will you lay down on the path before the humble king? And what will you not choose to lay down? When you lay down your cloak in front of the approaching king, you are promising, you are dedicating yourself to the king, to his rule, to his control. Does Jesus control your time, wealth, family? A lot is included when you lay your cloak down on the road in front of the king. At that time, Jesus began lamenting the future of the city. In Luke 19, we read that Jesus saw the future of Jerusalem and proclaimed a lament for the city which would be destroyed in 40 more years. From Luke 19.41, And when he drew near the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. It must be hard to foresee the coming judgment on the people for the pride, the love of power, the the refusal to repent and listen to the word of God, And more than that, the city will lose the temple, the sanctified house of God, this uh, sacred area, and God's presence will be lost. A thousand years of worship of God in this place will come to an end. Sacrifice for atonement will cease, and the Jewish people will begin to adopt a philosophical religion that does not practice the ceremonies of atonement. The description of the attack in this, um, in this prophecy is uh, uh, the typical method of blocking the gates, building up a ramp, finally storming in, and taking over the city. The coming generation will, will be wiped out in a war with Rome. If only they had known the time of their visitation. God is visiting He is offering. He is giving one more chance to repent, to come back, to listen. Jesus will come back each day this week to make this offer of receiving the kingdom, of believing in Jesus' words, um, of coming to terms with God's kingdom. And the temple officials will challenge and reject him over and over. When was the day of your visitation? Did God speak to you? In what way did you turn around and accept his kingdom and rule in your life? So Jesus enters the the gates of the city. Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas were three of the important powers that controlled the city. Pilate and Herod each had um, an army and a bodyguard, each entered Jerusalem to exert their power during the Passover feast. 
Pilate was the governor appointed by Rome and had a real army. He lived in a fortress with a legion of Roman soldiers. It was right there in the city, within walking distance of the temple. It was his goal to keep social peace so he would not be recalled to Rome. Herod lived in a palace. Uh, There's actually a lot of palaces built by the Herods. Uh, They were a productive family. They loved palaces. He had a palace in the city of Jerusalem and a smaller army, but he could call on Pilate if needed. It was his goal to rule Galilee, not Judea, but Galilee. That's where he was appointed. Uh, And he lived off the reputation of his father. These rulers both entered the city with great ceremony, with um, trumpets, with marching, and um, uh, lots of soldiers, lots of polish. They needed to let people know that the people were being ruled. Caiaphas, the high priest, had a palace too. It was actually his father-in-law's, so I guess he lived with his father-in-law, and whenever they had an important question, they went to the father-in-law first. But he is the high priest. He has a palace, he has a temple guard, and it's his goal to quash separatist religious movements, to soothe Rome's fears and preserve the temple and his position as high priest. He preened around the temple to exert his power. There's a record, a written record in uh, some archaeological find, that there are 250,000 lambs needed for the, um, the Passover celebration. If there's 10 people per lamb, then that makes 2.5 million worshipers. The city swells with pilgrims worshiping for this uh, Passover celebration. Um, accommodations, heat for cold nights, food for everyone, uh, were all issues. But for the ruler of the city, the main issue was security. That is why the chief priests were planning to destroy Jesus after the feast, because there were too many people during the festival, and many were following everything Jesus said. Public ministry this week would allow Jesus to reach the unreached who had traveled uh, from far and wide, from all over um, the Roman Empire, to be in Jerusalem during this high holy day. And now they're all in one place. Jesus has a chance to make his message known to all these uh, people. Um, The betrayal of Judas, Judas' betrayal of Jesus later will entice the Jewish priests and temple leaders to act sooner than they had wished and will also allow the crucifixion of God's lamb to be accomplished in this Passion Week. When Jesus entered the city, he did not go to Pilate to confront him about Rome. He did not go to Herod to confront him about John the Baptist. He did not go to the palace of the high priest to start a dialogue. Instead, he went straight to the temple. I'm sure Pilate 
and Herod would have heard the news that Jesus had arrived in town uh, because of all the shouting and singing and because they have spies that go around town and let the authorities know that something is happening. The city was on alert now. It was stirred up. 33 years ago, the city was troubled along with King Herod Antipas when some dignitaries came to worship the child who was born king of the Jews. And that ended with the slaughter of the innocents. So things can happen when the city gets stirred up. Some people in Jerusalem asked, who is this coming into the city that's creating all of this, uh, all of this celebration? And the reply from those who knew was, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. How can the answer include the miracles he does, the teaching he gives, the testimony of John the Baptist, and even his miraculous birth to a family descended from the line of King David? The answer is rather short and rather weak. He is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. To say he is a prophet from Nazareth is like saying he's from Afton or Clinton. No disrespect to Clinton. I lived there for 16 years. I almost graduated from high school. Those fine villages are nice, but does any prophecy name them as the center of anything? We don't even know where Nazareth is, except it's somewhere in Galilee. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy. He is a true son of David. In fact, the son of David. So when the blind men call son of David, it's a big deal. When the people call Jesus the son of David, it's a revolutionary call. Jesus is the king to come, the eternal king who will come in the line of David. Uh, their testimony could have been a little bit stronger about who Jesus is. And the people called him a prophet, not the prophet, foretold by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, the one Muslims try to claim as a prophecy of their prophet, Muhammad. But the testimony for Jesus leaves out how he fulfills prophecy and his purpose for coming. Even though the crowd's testimony of Jesus is weak and should be worked on, Jesus' next action will help to sharpen the focus of who he is and why he has come. Is my testimony about Jesus effective? Does it answer questions people are asking? Does it lead others to want to know more about Jesus? It shouldn't be hard. Jesus does the miracles. We only have to tell the story. Jesus now cleanses the temple for the worship of God. Cleansing the temple of distracting business will restore worship of the Father. People have been worshiping God in the streets as Jesus enters the city. Now he goes to the temple. Not to Pilate, not to Herod, 
not to Caiaphas. He goes to the temple, and with great energy, he casts out the money changers, the merchants, the pigeon sellers in particular. Some of this commerce may have been needed on a, uh, in a market by travelers who come to worship, and they need to buy stuff, they need to exchange money, they need to use money that doesn't have a picture of the Roman uh, emperor who calls himself a god. They, it shouldn't have a picture of any person's face on the coin. Um, it really needs to be temple money. Yeah. And so that's why they would exchange their perfectly good money for money at an exchange rate that they can use in the temple. Whether or not there was, um, there any of this was beyond what you would expect a normal profit to be for those doing the buying and selling, there's two problems here. Uh, some of the commerce may have been needed um, Jesus judged it as robbery. He called it robbery. You have become a den of thieves. It was not the whole temple, just in the, um, it was just in the court of the Gentiles. Um, but that is the first objection Jesus raises. It is hindering God's house from being, call, being called a house of prayer for all people. Mark chapter 11, verse 17, is from Isaiah 56, verse 7, and Jeremiah 7. The Gentiles were not permitted to enter the court of Israel, and here in the larger court of the Gentiles, they find no, no quiet place, no place to partake of the worship of the one true God. Jesus takes over the space and begins to teach and heal the blind and the lame, children were in the temple crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And once again, the temple officials heard the chant and they come to Jesus and tell him to stop the children from making that noise. Um, Jesus said, God can ordain praise even from the mouths of babes and infants. Why shouldn't these children be chant? I mean, what he meant was, why shouldn't these children repeat the words of God's word? Why can't they say this except that it's political? They're calling Jesus um, the, the son of David. Um, when I was a child in Clinton, our church raised money for the Methodist Youth Fellowship by having an occasional fish fry and invite people from outside of the church family, the people from all over Clinton, 1,300 people. We, people would come to our church in the middle of Clinton and, uh, and buy a, a plate of uh, fish and uh, whatever else we had, I don't quite remember. I used to wonder at the time, does God approve of our using the church to raise money from the community? But now I see our activity was not what was talked about here. Um, our activity was the opposite of the temple's merchandising. In three points, the temple excluded people 
from worshiping because they had taken a chunk of the temple and made it for merchandise, money changing, and buying pigeons. The, um, the temple excluded people from God's house while we were bringing people into God's house. The temple merchandising was the loudest when others were in worship. We were only loud on Friday evenings. And no one accused us of robbery. So maybe using the church for that is okay. We can talk about that later. Can you understand how Jesus and the Father desire the worship of the people of God? How he desires outsiders to be included and welcome? Let our worship continue this week as we consider Passion Week and all the events that went on in the ministry of Jesus day by day during this holy week. And let us use the tools we have to remove worldliness and distraction so we can devote ourselves to the worship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. May God bless us this week during, uh, during this holy week leading up to Good Friday and Easter. And uh, may he be pleased with our worship and, uh, the, and our study of his word.